And we've been doing this series called Leader You. What we've been doing, we've been going back to school. We've been, we've been going back to college, y'all, like a university level experience of learning how to be leaders. In fact, that's the reason we've called this Leader You. There's kind of a double meaning there. It's Leader You as in Leader University, but also as in you are a leader. God has called you to lead in some way, in some shape, in some form. You are an example. You have influence. And you know, I know so many people say, well, pastor, I'm not really a leader, but the truth is God has called a you. Everybody say me. God has called you to lead in some way. And we've been learning uh, from this guy in the scripture, one of the greatest leaders in all of the scripture, a guy named Nehemiah. Everybody say Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was, was a man that God called and used in an incredible way. If you haven't been here throughout the series, let me just catch you up just a little bit. Nehemiah was just a regular, ordinary guy. He was a cupbearer to the king, uh, which basically meant that he was, he was a king's servant. That basically, it just meant that, that he was like a butler in the king's palace. And he was just living a comfortable life until one day he heard from his brother that his homeland, that the land where he his ancestors was from was in ruins that the walls were all torn down and that the people were in disgrace and they were filled with embarrassment and with shame and hopelessness and when Nehemiah heard it 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 broke his heart he had what we called a Popeye moment which basically basically was this I've had all I can stands I can't stands no more somebody's got to do something about it and Nehemiah said it might as well be me and this ordinary guy this ordinary butler in the palace of the king he rose up and God began to use him in incredible ways he went to the king and he said king would you send me back to, to rebuild the walls of my ancestors. And he made the trip a thousand miles from where he was back to his homeland. And he began to survey the damage and he began to make a plan for how they would rebuild the walls. And he rallied all the troops around him and with passion in his heart and with passion in his voice, he began to say, somebody's got to do something about this and it might as well be us. And the people of God begin to rally together and they began, the Bible says, they began the good work and they started to make progress. But that's when the story begins to take a turn for the worse. How many know that when you begin to make progress for God, many times the enemy comes to try to stop the progress that you're making? You ever seen that to be true in your life? And that's exactly what happened for Nehemiah and for the people of God as they began to rebuild the walls. There was an enemy in the form of these two guys named Sanballat and Tobiah. Kind of weird names. But these guys, man, they represented a group of people who were basically political enemies of the Israelites. They did not want the Jewish people to be able to rebuild the walls 
of their city because they wanted to keep the people weak and they wanted to keep the people dependent upon them for food and for shelter and for things like that. And for these very political and selfish and financial reasons, this this, uh, political opponent or enemy of the people of God began to try to begin to d- try to oppose and discourage and stop the people from the work that God had called them to do. And the truth is here this morning that many of you you've heard as we've been talking about God has called you to be a leader and you've begun to rise up and God has begun to stir up a passion inside of you and you've decided I'm going to do something for God I'm going to do something in his kingdom I'm going to make a difference uh, in this world and you've you've gotten excited and you've begun to move in that direction but can I tell you the truth this morning that when you begin to do what God has called you to do when you begin to make forward progress there will always be an enemy a spiritual enemy the enemy of your soul who will do everything that he can to oppose you and to discourage you from doing what God has called you to do you see the Bible says it like this in John 10 and verse 10 that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy the scripture talks about it in the book of second Peter it says that the enemy is like a roaring lion he roams around looking for whom he may devour and the truth is that it's easy for us to start thinking that well, you know what God called Nehemiah and Nehemiah made a big sacrifice to leave the comfortable life of the palace to go and to do what God called him to do. And so everything must have just went smoothly and it should have just went easy as God just cleared the path and everybody just went and just did the work and it all just happened so nice and so easy. That's the way that it should be when you obey God that everything's gonna go smooth and easy. But that's not the way it works. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down today. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face opposition because we're doing something right. Some of you are like, oh, thank God. That makes me feel so much better because, Pastor, I'm facing some major opposition in my life. And the truth is, if you're facing opposition today, and if you make me feel a little discouraged today, can I encourage you today that maybe you're not facing that opposition because you're doing something wrong. Maybe it's because you're doing something right. Because here's the deal. If you're not doing something right, if you're not making progress for God, why would the enemy want to discourage you? It's when we begin to move forward and when we begin to do what God has called us to do that the enemy of our souls begins to come against us and and begins to try to discourage us and oppose us. I remember whenever we first we first started this church, we first moved here to Burleson, I, I guess I just had this thing in my mind that, you know what, we made a big sacrifice to leave the, the place where we were pastoring and come to Burleson and, and start this church. And so because we made such a big sacrifice and it was, you know, it was a it was a scary deal and we took this big step of faith that, that somehow it's just all gonna be, it's just gonna all come together and it was just gonna work so easily. Cause 
that's what happens sometimes when you take a step of faith. God begins to open doors and then you begin to walk through and it all seems like it's just falling in place and whatever. And, you know, I'll just be honest, probably I had kind of this little thought in my mind that, you know, everybody from Burleson is just going to want to flock to our church because we're just so cool, you know. Man, I'm so good looking that they're all going to just want to come. And, and I preach so good. Man, we're such great pastors that people are just going to flock around, want to be a part of our church. And we moved our family here and we got ready to start the church. And we realized that nobody cared how cool we were. And I really wasn't that good looking either. And, and nobody wanted to come hear me preach. And man, it didn't all just happen just real nice and easily and everything just flows smoothly that it was hard work. And we faced some opposition and we faced some struggles and we, man, we faced some, some difficult stuff. And I, I remember sometimes, man, I can just remember some, some specific times when I was just so stinking discouraged. And I was like, God, what am I doing wrong? Man, I, I've told you this before, but I remember how we couldn't find a place that would let us uh, meet for our, our services on Sundays. And man, I looked around all over the place and we tried every school that we could think of and the schools just didn't want to work work with us and man we were looking at like the YMCA and we were looking at like you know banks that had a meeting room and storefronts and I mean it was just like there was nothing and for weeks and for weeks and for weeks I looked I made this list of places to go and look where we could have services and I'm checking them off no 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 and I remember one day I got to that like there was the very last the very last thing on the list for me to go and look and see could we have services there and it wasn't even in the community or the area that I really felt like God had called us to, but I was just like, God, I'm desperate here. And so I'm driving up off of Sycamore School Road up there in South Fort Worth, and I'm driving down that road after checking off that very last thing from the list that was like the last hope of a place for us to meet. And it just, the reality just began to hit me and just discouragement just began to come. And I remember driving down that road on Sycamore School Road. I remember it like it was yesterday, driving down the road, tears just rolling down my face. And I remember thinking, God, am I doing something wrong? I wasn't doing nothing wrong. In fact, the enemy wasn't coming against me because I was doing something wrong. The enemy was opposing me because I was doing something right. Here's the deal. Some of you this morning, maybe you feel a little bit discouraged. Maybe you've taken a step out of faith and you've said, I want to do something for God. I want to be a leader. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count for something. I, I want to rebuild the brokenness, the walls that are around me in my community or in, in my neighborhood or in my school or whatever it might be. And you've found yourself up against a wall. You've found yourself discouraged and you've thought, what am I doing wrong, Can and I tell you the enemy doesn't come against us because we're doing something wrong, but because we're doing something right. And I want to encourage you that are discouraged today. Don't allow the enemy to discourage you from doing what God has called you to do. There was like two amens. I think that was like a better place for one right there. Let me just, let's just look at this a little bit. I want to look at Nehemiah chapter 4. And I want us to just see two different ways that the enemy tries to discourage us. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. You can all also follow along on the screen or on your view version this morning. The first one is this. 
your enemy will attempt, attempt to discourage you from the outside. Man, that's exactly what happens is the spiritual enemy of your soul, he will bring external forces against you to try to discourage you, to try to oppose you, to try to stop you from doing the work that God has called you to do. That's exactly what happened for Nehemiah. In this case, in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1, we see this, that, that these two guys, Sanballat and, and Tobiah, they show up to begin to discourage God's people and to discourage Nehemiah. And the Bible says in verse 1, check this out, when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the walls, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Check this out. He ridiculed, everybody say ridiculed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, who are these feeble Jews and what are they doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heap of rubble burned as they are? He starts ridiculing them, coming against them, these external forces coming against the people of God who are trying to do what God has called them to do. Who do you think you are to think that you can do something like this, and then then Tobiah he begins to chime in, and I, I love what he says. It's it's so creative. Look, verse number three. He says, Tobiah says, Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, "What are they building? Even a fox climbed up. Even if the fox climbed up on it, he would break down their walls of stones." I mean, isn't that kind of funny? He's like, "You guys are building this thing, and it's not even strong enough to hold up a fox. If a fox starts coming to try to walk across the walls, and from the outside, there's this great sense of this discouragement coming against the people of God who are attempting to do the work of God." I just want you to notice a couple of different ways that the enemy tries to discourage us from the outside. The first one he uses is he uses obstacles. Everybody say obstacles. He uses obstacles. Some of you have experienced this before. You begin to try to work for God, and it's like you get excited and you get passionate. You start taking uh, those steps forward, and you take like two steps forward, and then all of a sudden an obstacle comes up, and it knocks you back, and it's like two steps forward and then three steps back. Anybody ever experienced that before? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, God, I'm trying to work for you. I'm trying to do this vision, this thing that you place in my heart, and then it's like you hit a brick wall. So, some of you may be here this morning, maybe as we've talked about uh, being a leader, you've decided, man, I, I, I've got to lead my family out of debt. Man, I'm, I'm so tired of our families, my family just uh, struggling financially, and we just fight about it all the time, and it's just on our mind, and we worry about these financial struggles all the time. And so it's like, I'm going to, man, last week you're like, I'm passionate, I'm going to raise up, and, and I'm going to fight against this thing. We're going to lead our family out of debt. And it's like, man, you know, I'm tattooed and Dave Ramsey across my arm and it's like beans and rice, beans and rice. I'm going to live like nobody else so that later I can live like nobody else. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? And it's like, man, we're sitting down. We're making a budget, man. We're not going out to eat. We're, I mean, we're getting this thing under control and man, you start to move forward and everyone's excited about it. And then all of the sudden your car breaks down and it's like $567.82 to fix it. How many know what I'm talking about and it's two steps forward 
I'm three steps back. Some of you, man, you've decided, I'm going to lead my family. And, man, we're going we're gonna to lead our family in the things of God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, man, it's just like we're going to have family devotions and we're going to teach our kids the right thing. We're going to memorize scripture. And I'm going to pray for my kids every night before they go to bed and all this kind of stuff. And then you find out that your teenage son isn't sure whether he believes in God or not. It was two steps forward, three steps back. And some of you, you own a business and you decide, man, leader you, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead my business uh, spiritually. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise up a business that's going to honor God with the way that we do things and we're going to build this business on biblical and, and scriptural principles and you begin to implement those things in your business and you're just excited about it and man, you're having devotions with your, with your staff and with your, you know, the, your employees that work for you and man, you're taking these two steps forward as you're so, as you're so excited about about it and then a couple of months later half of your employees quit it's two steps forward three steps back anybody ever felt like that before obstacles that get in our way I sent you an email in the update this this week sharing with you about about the building and we're so excited about about what we're going to be doing to transform this building and adding room for our children's ministry and things like that and man about six weeks ago we we have our groundbreaking service and man we break the ground and we start moving dirt and it's like things are getting started and we're super excited about it and we're taking those two steps forward and then that very same week we find out that we've got to put a fire sprinkler system in the whole thing because that's what the code says and that's more time and that's more money and there's and there's all these things we got to now go back to the plans and add that into the plans and then send it back to the city so that they can they can do all the revisions and we have to revise and it's now it's going to be not till October 20th until we get the final approval and get our permit it's like Two steps forward, yeah, we're excited. Three steps back. And that's what the enemy does. He began to move forward with God and he begins to bring obstacles to oppose you and to try to discourage you. But you've got to remember that the enemy doesn't oppose you because you're doing something wrong. He comes against you because you're doing something right can't allow yourself to get discouraged. Number two, it comes against us with criticism. Everybody say criticism. And that's exactly what happens with Nehemiah and the people of God. Man, even a fox wouldn't be able to walk across that wall. <laughs> criticism. Anybody ever been criticized for doing something right? Doing something you know God put in your heart to do? And some, some of you have gotten, like, God has put this thing in your heart. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to make a difference, and, and I'm going to do something for God. Maybe some of you are like, you know what, I'm, I feel like God's put in my heart that I, I need to be a foster parent, and I need, to help, I need to help foster kids and bring them into our home and, and, and help them and teach them the ways of God and whatever. And you get really excited about that, and you start telling people, man, God put this vision in my heart to do this. And you tell, maybe tell your, uh, you know, you tell your mother-in-law, we're going to foster these kids, and your mother-in-law looks at you. And was like, how are you going to take care of those kids when you don't even take care of your own kids? Come on. Criticism. 
Maybe, you know, God puts it on your heart to, to, to quit the good high-paying job that you got and take a lower-paying job so that you'll have more time to, to do what God has called you to do. And everybody, everybody looks at you and says, are you crazy? What are you doing? Criticism. Maybe some of you teenagers maybe got in your heart that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a Bible club in my, in my school or my campus or I'm going to invite my friends to school or I'm just going to really serve God and do something great and your friends are like, you're a Jesus freak and you're a weirdo and there's criticism that comes against us when we begin, begin to follow God. That's, that's exactly what Nehemiah experienced and here's the deal. And I tell you just a little secret of, of leadership. Here's the deal. If you're going to lead... You're going to have to endure criticism. Nehemiah had to endure some criticism, but I want you to notice what he did when he was criticized. Two things, you can write these down. The first thing he did was he just simply took it to God. When the criticism came, he didn't complain about it. He didn't whine about it. He didn't try to justify himself for it. He didn't get everybody together, hey, let me explain to you what we're doing here and try to be all defensive about the criticism. What did he do? He just took it to God. When the criticism came, he prayed. And you see it over and over and over and over through the book of Nehemiah. He would be criticized and he would go to God in prayer. He took it to God and then check this out. What did he do? Number two, he just got back to work. What do you do when you receive criticism? You take it to God. You don't complain about it. You don't say, woe is me. You don't stand up and and adjust your leadership because of the criticism or defend yourself or or try to get rally everybody around and explain what you're doing. No, you take it to God and you get back to work. You don't allow the criticism to stop you from moving forward. You pray, you put it in God's hands, and then you just get back to work. You know, when I first began in ministry and first uh, became especially a, a senior pastor, uh, I received some criticism. You say, Pastor, do, do you receive criticism? Do pastors get criticized? Is the Pope Catholic? I mean, I'm telling you. Yeah. And I, especially when I was young. And when I was, when I was younger, I was 24 years old when I became the lead pastor of the church that we pastored in Midland. And you guys, you, you guys know my heart here is that my heart has always been for the next generation, for young people, for teenagers, for uh, raising up the next generation to pass on those godly virtues and values to the next generation and reach the young people. And, and you know my heart for that. And, and when I was 24 years old, man, th- there were people who didn't understand that. I mean, because I was young and because I was a youth pastor, there were people that would criticize and, and they would say, hey, he was a youth pastor and now he's a pastor and all he cares about is the young people. He doesn't like us old people, you know? And man, I used to take that criticism to heart. I mean, it, it, I would get so defensive about it that like it would even come out in my sermons, like trying to defend myself and, and whatever. And I don't remember, I mean, there were times when, like I remember this one guy, he was an older gentleman in the church and he just thought that because now that I was the pastor, uh, that now all of a sudden the music was louder, which it wasn't. It hadn't changed one single bit. In fact, I t- in fact, it was my father-in-law who was the sound guy. And I told him, don't you dare make it louder. Don't do that. But there was this guy that he 
just, all of a sudden he thought that because now we have a young pastor that now I've told the sound guy to crank it up and make it loud. And I remember one time worship had already started and I was back in the back and I was coming in to the front, you know, to, to begin a worship. And this guy grabbed me by the arm and like in the middle of service starts yelling at me, it's too loud and you just don't like old people. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I used to, man, I used to take that stuff to heart and it used to discourage me and I would get depressed and then I'd get mad and then I would get resentful and then I would come out in my sermons and I'd start preaching about, we're going to reach young people, you know. And as, I, as I've matured as a leader, I've realized that people are going to criticize not everybody's going to like everything that you do. And if they like everything that you do, probably you're not really doing anything. <laughs> and if you're really going to be a leader and really going to do something, you're going to have to endure some criticism. And there are some things you can learn from criticism, especially from people that love you and care about you. But then there are those that will criticize and they don't love you and they don't care about you. They just, they just mean. They just want to be critical. And you got to know the difference. And Nehemiah knew the difference. Nehemiah realized that these people aren't criticizing me to try to help me. They're criticizing me to try to stop me. And I don't, I'm not going to allow what they are saying to stop me from doing what God has called me to do. So I'm going to take it to the Lord and then I'm going to get back to work. Does anybody like criticism? I don't like it. You say, Pastor, does it hurt when you get criticized? Absolutely. I'm a human being. I don't like it. But I'm going to evaluate it and I'm going to weigh it. Do these people love me and are they trying to help me or are they trying to stop me? And if they're trying to stop me, I'm just going to take it to the Lord and I'm going to get back to work. Because here's the deal at the end is that I'm not doing what I'm doing for my critics. I'm doing what I'm doing for him. And it's him that I'm trying to please. Come on, somebody say amen because this is good preaching this morning. You're going to have criticism. You're going to have obstacles the enemy is going to come to try to discourage you from the outside. But then number two, the enemy will try to discourage you from the inside. And the outside discouragement and opposition I think is difficult. But I really think that this one is the most difficult battle that leaders can face at times. It's the inward battle. It's a battle that takes place in your heart. The battle that takes place in your mind. It's... It's the battle with your own doubts, your own disbelief. It's, it's the battle with your own insecurities and your own anxieties and your own, your own fears. It's an inward battle, and that's, that's exactly what happened here. We see this in verse number 10, the insecurities of the Jewish people. They, they start to be exposed in, in Nehemiah 4 and verse 10. It says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of our laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the walls. What, what's happening here? There's this, there's this opposition from the inside. There's this discouragement that begins to come at them from the inside and they, they begin to doubt themselves and they begin to feel insecure and they, they begin to think, man, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, when Nehemiah got us all pumped up, we're like, yeah, let's go rebuild the walls and take on the world. But then we got to work and we realized this is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. And these insecurities and these doubts and all this fear and all this stuff begins to rise up on the inside. What if we don't have what it takes? I mean, 
who were we to actually think that we could rebuild these walls? That these things have been down for 140 years. Who, who are we to think that we could actually make a difference? Who, who am I to think that to think that I could actually start a church and people would want to come? Who, who am I to think that that I could host a life group and invite invite friends and people over and they would actually they would actually want to come and and. I mean, who, who, who do you think you are anyway to think that, that you can teach people how to lead their family? I mean, you can't even lead your own family. I mean, you just had a fight with your wife last night. Who are you to think you, you could be a leader? You can't, you can't even lead yourself. Who are you to think you can help somebody, help somebody in their financial struggles? Have, have you looked at your bank account lately? And all those discouragement, all that stuff comes from the inside to, to oppose us and to discourage us. Yeah, you know, I, I remember we first started the church and man, this was the greatest battle that I faced is that we'd work hard and we'd, we'd try to have, try to invite people and do everything we could to, to build something. And we, we were meeting over in the Hughley Fitness Center and we would get there and we would set up all of the stuff and put up all the sound system and the video and stuff for the kids and all that kind of stuff. And, and then we'd, you know, we'd get there and be ready to have service. And I remember I'd stand out there in a the little four-year place of the, of the Hughley and they have those, they have those glass, you know, windows there and it's closed on Saturday. So there's no cars in the parking lot. And I would just look out there and there's like seven cars in the parking lot, you know, and I, it, two of them are mine and my wife's, you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm looking out and I'm going, you know, somebody please show up. And I'm looking at it and it's like five minutes till service. And then it's service time. And then it's a couple minutes after service is supposed to start. And I'm still out there. Let's don't start yet because maybe somebody else will show up, right? And then we have worship and it's like we've got more people. I've told you this before. We've got more people on the stage doing worship than we do out in the seats worshiping, right? And so we'd do worship and then the worship team would go down there and then I would talk. You know what I'm saying? And it was like... Like so discouraging, and I'd wake up on I'd wake up on sat uh, the, we were meeting on Saturday nights at that time. I'd wake up on Sunday mornings, and I would be like, "Man, I'm a loser. What am I doing? Did I miss God? Did I do something wrong?" I, I would go to I would go to ministers' gatherings, and I would be with my other pastor friends and I would hear them talking about their church and the great things God was doing in their church and man I'd leave just feeling so discouraged and so insecure and thinking what what are we doing here and man I just maybe I just don't have what it takes and maybe maybe I just can't do it and the doubts and fears and I could even say I mean borderline depression that I would wake up the next morning and just feel like what am I doing? Have I done something wrong? But it wasn't that I had done something wrong. I was doing something right. And the enemy began to come in and try to discourage from the inside. And that's exactly what he will do in your life. When you begin to move forward with God, he will begin to discourage you. And sometimes the greatest discouragement comes from your own doubt and fear and insecurity that are deep down. Down inside of you. How do you defeat discouragement? Well, how did Nehemiah do it? Let's look at it. Verse number 14, Nehemiah says, After I looked over these things, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, 
Do not be afraid. Everybody say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Nehemiah says, here's what you do when you face that inward discouragement. Here's what you do. You remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Now, what would that have meant for these people, these Israelite people, when, when, when he said, remember the Lord for them? Man, it, it, would have been like, it would have been like this. Hey, guys, remember the time? Remember the, remember the time when our ancestors were, they were slaves in Egypt? Hey, you, you remember that time? And, and you remember that time that, that God sent a burning bush, a bush that didn't, had, that burned but was not consumed? And, and you remember that time when, when there was a guy, his name was Moses, and God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. But you remember what, remember what Moses said? Moses said, but I don't know how to talk very well. And you remember what God said to him? God said, well, who gave you a mouth? And I will be with you. And you remember what Moses did? Moses said, hey, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Somebody's got to do something something about this and it might as well be me and you remember what Moses did Moses went to Pharaoh and he said let my people go and Pharaoh said no I will not let your people go and Moses said all right then God will make you let my people go and you remember how there were those 10 plagues that came and you remember how Moses I mean Pharaoh finally let the people of God go and they began to go to the land that God promised them but they found themselves between a rock and a hard place you remember Remember that time when Pharaoh's army was at their back and there was water at, at their front and they did not know where to go. But you remember what Moses did. You remember how God said, stretch out your staff over the water. And Moses stretched out his staff over the water and the water parted and the people of God walked across on dry land. They had time after time after time of the awesomeness and the faithfulness of God that when they were discouraged from the inside, they just remembered their God who is great and awesome. And when I'm discouraged, you know what I do? I just remind myself, hey, hey, remember that time? Remember that time when you moved to Burleson and you didn't know a single person in town and, and you said, I, I think God's called us to plant a church, but we don't know how we're going to do it. And you remember that time that you moved in to that house in Crowley and, and you didn't know how, what you were going to do and you wound up, you remember there was neighbors across the street that wound up being a part of your church and they're still a part of your church today. You remember that? Hey, hey, don't forget that. Hey, hey you, you remember that time when you didn't have a building and you didn't have a place to meet and you didn't know what you were going to do? And you remember how you drove down Sycamore School Road and you were crying and you were saying, God, what am I doing wrong? And you remember how just a couple of weeks later you got a phone call from a, one of your overseers who said, hey, how about that building right there at 601 Southwest Thomas? How would, how would you like to move your church into that building? You remember that time? Hey, you remember that time when you were already in the building and you felt like, you felt like that, that God put it on your heart to give away the offering on a Sunday morning, to give it back to the people so that they could go and be a blessing to, to the community? And you thought, how are we going to do that? We don't have enough money. And if we give away the offering on that Sunday morning, we won't have enough to give our staff their, their Christmas bonuses. But you did it anyway. And you took the offering and you put it in $5 and $10 and $20 and $50 envelopes. And you gave it back to the congregation and said, go out 
out into the community and bless somebody as we go into the holiday season and you didn't know what was going to happen in the very next week a guy from Chesapeake Gas Company came in and handed you a check for $13,000 you remember that time hey you remember that time when when you thought that your world had collapsed because one of the staff members had a moral failure with another staff member in the church and you thought the whole church is going to fall apart and you just don't know what you're going to do. You remember how I provided for you and how I took care of you. And you remember how the church didn't fall apart, but instead the church grew in the middle of that and now you're better off than you've ever been before. Hey, you remember that time? Hey, hey, hey remember that time? Did you start doing dirt work out here? And then, and then you were like, wait a minute, you got to put a, put a sprinkler system in, fire sprinkler system in, that's going to cost a whole lot of money. And hey, remember that time that before you even knew anything about that, that you had two different, two different things that happened where you wound up having $71,000 that you didn't know you were going to have come into the church, just boom, within a matter of two weeks. Remember that? How do you overcome the inward discouragement? You remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And the same God who provided for you in your yesterdays is the same God who will provide for you in your today and the same God who will provide for you in your tomorrows. You remember the God who is great and awesome. And then look what he says to do. And he says, and fight. Everybody fights. Fight for your cause. What does he say? He says, Fight for your brothers and for your sisters and for your children and for your homes. Notice this. He doesn't say fight for yourself because if you fight for yourself, here's what's going to happen. When you get tired, you're going to give up and surrender. But when you fight for something that's beyond yourself, when you fight for someone you love, when you fight for someone who needs you, when you fight for something that, that God has called you to do for a cause that is greater than you are, then when you get tired and when you get weary, you just keep on fighting because you're not fighting for yourself. You're fighting for your brothers and for your sisters and for your home. You're fighting for your God. You're fighting for a cause that really makes a difference in this world. So here's the deal. Being a leader, it's not a playground. It's a battleground. When you decide to lead and you decide to do something for God, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to fight. And that's exactly what Nehemiah had to do. Check, check this out. Look what they had to do. Verse number 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. And the officers posted themselves beside all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other hand. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Check this out. Even though the enemy was coming against them, even though there were struggles and problems, even though there was, there was discouragement, even though there was op- opposition, even though there was criticism, even even though there was an army that was ready to attack them. They did not stop the work. They even came to 
the point where they held a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other hand. And they worked with one hand while they fought with the other hand. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there will be discouragement and there will be problems and there will be trials and there will be difficulties that will come against you. And the enemy will oppose you on every side. He will oppose you from the inside. He will oppose you from the outside. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to take it to God and we're going to get back to work. We're going to remember the God who is great and awesome. We're going to fight with a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other hand. We're going to remember what we're fighting for and we're not going to get discouraged. Somebody stand up on your feet and give the Lord a praise offering in this place today. Come on, hands high, lifted high all over this room today. Father, we're not going to be discouraged. God, today we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be built up on the inside. We're going to remember a God who is great and awesome. And we're going to fight for what is right, even when we don't feel it, even when we struggle, even when we're down, even when we're discouraged. Fill our hearts with your presence today. I may be weak, but God, you are strong in me. My flesh may fail, but God, your spirit, it will never fail. And you are with me even when I'm tired, even when I'm weary, even when I don't know how I'm going to make it. Come on, somebody needs to shout amen in this place today. I don't know, man, for a second, I forgot I was in a white church. But I want you to leave, some say, why do you get so excited like that, Pastor? Because, you know what? I want you to leave encouraged. I want you to leave challenged. I want you to leave inspired. I want to just come and just be like, it's a leadership university. God's called you to do something for God. If you feel like it, go out and make a difference in your world. That don't inspire nobody. When we say God has called us to do something and there's a passion burning in our heart and he's given us all that we need to make that difference, man, God can then, through his Holy Spirit, he can begin to inspire us and encourage us and lift us up. And the passion begins to flow through us to the people around us.